The wins just keep on coming, and so do the records. The Rockets topping the OKC Thunder 102-89 behind another monstrous performance from Christian Wood, a new career high in rebounds, 21, and his first ever 2020 game, in addition to Kevin Porter Jr. recurring his, or I, I should say recording his very first triple-double of his career in the most wholesome way imaginable. We're going to break it all down for you right here at Locked on Rockets. It's the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. With the second pick in the 2021 NBA Draft, the Houston Rockets select Jalen Green. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep getting better every day. I'm going to keep perfecting my craft. And every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, the best and only daily podcast covering your Houston Rockets. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian, co-host of Locked on NBA Thursdays and partner at Apollo Media. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as at Apollo H. Oh, you a lot to dive into in today's episode. But first, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions that you don't want or need and can even negotiate better deals on the ones that you want to keep. So go check out our friends over at Truebill. The Rockets are they're on a winning streak. If you had told me this would have happened a week ago, I don't know if I would have believed you. It's almost enough to make me shed a tear but I think that's an eyelash caught in my eye. Anyways, the Rockets are on a three-game winning streak. It feels good. This is a significantly better feeling for this team than being on a 15-game slide. Uh, The players can feel it. The energy around the team is better. Uh, You can see it in, you know, in pregame warmups. You can see it in postgame media availability. Uh, Everybody is in a significantly better mood. And... uh, the biggest proponent to me of this three game win streak has to be Christian Wood at the five, right? That's the biggest takeaway is that's the biggest change that has been made. Steven Silas opting to put Christian Wood at the five to remove Daniel Tice from the lineup entirely. And this Rockets team looks like a completely different ball club with Christian Wood playing in space, operating heavy in pick and roll, uh, Christian Wood said post game after the OKC win that Steven Silas wants him to just repeatedly over and over and over spam the pick and roll, right? Just that that's his goal is to get him uh, involved in the pick and roll action so much because it creates so many mismatches and the gravity is just unreal from Christian Wood in that lineup. Uh, he finishes the night with uh, a a new record of his own, his first 2020 game of his career, 24 points, 21 rebounds on nine of 17 shooting, three of six from behind the arc. Uh, didn't have any assists in this one after posting a career high. He's had career highs in, in three consecutive games for Christian Wood. That's how good he has been during this three-game stretch for the Rockets. He had a career high in assists. Then he had a career high in points, and now he's had a career high in rebounds and his first, you know, again, 2020 game of his career also posted the three blocks, didn't get to that part of his stat line. 
was a plus 24 in 31 minutes of run against the OKC Thunder. Um, continues to look really, really solid out there. And in this one, it didn't even feel like for, for stretches of this game, it didn't quite feel like Christian Wood was, you know, getting super involved offensively. Um, it felt like they kind of got away from what was really working for them. And I'll get into that a little bit more with KPJ, who uh, did have his first career triple double uh, in, in just the most wholesome way possible. But I want to stay focused on Christian Wood here for just a moment uh, because truly as this Rockets team moves forward with Christian Wood at the five, uh, in this in this three game sample size that we have for the Rockets with Christian Wood at the five spot and without running the double big lineup, um, the Rockets currently have a net rating across these three games of where is it? I had it pulled up seven point six. They are plus seven point six points per 100 possessions across these three games. They have a one hundred and fifteen point one offensive rating and they have a one oh seven point five defensive rating good enough for a plus 7.6 net rating across these three games. Now, again, small sample size, uh, but if we were to extrapolate that data and, you know, lay it across uh, and compare it to the entirety of the season, currently uh, there are only two teams with better than a 7.6 net rating across the entire NBA, and that is the Golden State Warriors with a ridiculous 13.6 net rating, and then the Utah Jazz with a 9.8 net rating. Uh, the Phoenix Suns are in third place with a 7.1 net rating. So again, that 7.6 net rating, it's not going to hold up over the, the long term, but to see the Rockets playing this well over you know, a decent stretch of games against two really solid opponents in the Chicago Bulls and the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, and then obviously OKC Thunder kind of basement dwellers with the Houston Rockets in the Western Conference. Uh, it, it, it It's good to see that this team can actually string together some really, really solid basketball play. Um, and again, a, a lot of that is built off of the pick and roll game, the pick and roll action between Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood and what those two guys are able to create in that two man game and then create for the rest of the team. Right. Creating for uh, Eric Gordon, creating for Jay Shantae, creating for Garrison Matthews, um, all guys who had really, really successful, solid games. Daniel House Jr. with a really big game off the bench. We'll be sure to talk about him a little bit later, too, because I preemptively uh, tried to ask what phase of the house cycle that we were in. Um, but you know, this rockets win, you know, I, I feel like I'm never going to take another win streak for granted ever again, because going through the 20 game losing streak last year, and then the 15 game win streak this year, um, or 15 game, not a 15 game win streak, 15 game win streak would be pretty nice, right? 15 game losing streak. I should say, um, Again, I just wanted to reiterate how different the mentality and the vibes around the team are. And this is what's important for a growing, developing team for the rookies, right? Is they can't be caught. And I know it's so easy to just look at the 15 game losing streak and be like, oh, yeah, but Paolo Bancaro and, and Chet Holmgren and right. Like, you know, all, all the top prospects for, for this next year's draft it's really easy to just be like, Oh yeah, we're going to secure the top pick. And that's all, that's all fine and dandy. Right. But it's also important to monitor and 
pay close attention to the development of the guys that are on the team currently. And the mood was just so terrible, right? Everybody was fed up with the losing. Everybody was frustrated there. We weren't seeing the growth. We weren't seeing the development. And now it feels like the team is back on track, right? Now it feels like we can enjoy the basketball again. And even if some of, even if some of these games had resulted in losses, right? That Charlotte Hornets game was a, a just an absolute shootout and had it ended in a heartbreaking loss. Yeah, it would have stung, but there was so many, there were still so many positives to take away from that game. Same thing from the bulls game, same thing from this OKC thunder game. And I want to dive into uh, all the different points that I want to talk about with KPJ, with Jay Sean Tate, uh, Garrison Matthews, his impact, all these different guys coming up in just a moment after a quick message from our friends over at Truebill. because look, it, did you know that basically the reason free trials renew without your consent, right? The, the whole secret behind it is it's a business scam out to get you. So don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill and take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't want or need or that you simply forgot about because look, fake. I know I've done that. On average, people save up to $720 per year with Truebill. Because so, because so many companies make subscriptions so hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap, one click, one button, one press. It's that simple. It's that easy. So don't fall for these subscription scams anymore. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash MBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash MBA. It could save you thousands a year. That's Truebill.com slash MBA. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Let's dive into a little bit of the a little bit of the game flow for the Rockets um, before talking about KPJ and his first career triple double. Now, uh, the the Rockets kind of comfortably led the majority of this game. Like it was, it was an ugly game for Houston shooting wise. Um, they they definitely. I, I was very curious to see how this team was going to respond, right? Because when you shoot forty seven percent, which they did against the Hornets. Um, everything looks really, really good. And they looked like an utterly dominant offensive team. So what was this team going to look like when they suddenly struggled to shoot the ball from the floor? And we kind of saw what happened in this game against the Thunder. The Rockets played solid defense. Um, they forced the Thunder into some really tough contested shots. The Thunder finished the game just shooting 7 of 43, 16.3% from behind the three-point line. They were 9.5%, 2 of 21 at halftime. Uh, but the Rockets, you know, again, not a miraculous shooting night from them, just 42% from the floor, 32 and a half percent from behind the arc, uh, only 63.6% from the free throw line. They only went to the charity stripe 11 times, shot seven of 11 there, not a phenomenal offensive performance by the Rockets, but that said, they were still able to hold on and win this game. They were comfortably in the lead for the majority of this one led by five after one led by nine at halftime. Um, they were up by as many, sorry, they were up by as many as 21 in the third quarter. And OKC, to their credit, you know, never quite gave up in this game. They made little pushes here and there trying to chip back into it. SGA finished the game 22 points on 9 of 20 shooting. Uh, they had 17 uh, apiece from Trey Mann and Isaiah Roby off the bench. Um, side note, Trey Mann is, he 
he's going to be good at the NBA level, right? There's a reason that he was one of the names that I was kind of looking at for the Houston Rockets back during the initial draft process. Uh, and don't get me wrong. I'm glad with the guys that the Rockets picked. There's a reason Rafael Stone's the GM and not me. But that said, uh, Trey Mann is going to be really, really solid uh, for the OKC Thunder. Uh, and then, I mean, on the rocket side, you know, talked about Christian Wood and, and his big night, but let's get into KPJ and, and just his growth because we're seeing it now, right? We're seeing so much be unlocked for KPJ, um, at the point guard position. But first we got to talk about his first career triple double in the most wholesome of ways possible. So, all right. With about, uh, you know, minute, minute and a half left in the game, uh, first off, Steven Silas leaving KPJ in the game. Um, and I, it's got, it has to have been intentional. We didn't get a chance to ask him, but you know, Steven Silas leaving KPJ in the game so that he could, you know, secure his first career triple double. Like, I love that move. That's a great move. Um, I don't consider it stat padding whatsoever, um, for his first career triple double, right? That's a significant milestone. And he absolutely was flirting with the triple double, um, you know, early in the fourth quarter. And so letting him play the remaining, you know, remainder of the game to try and secure it was great. And the way that he got it was so just incredible. So shot goes up from the thunder. It's, you know, it's a miss. Alper and Shingun kind of taps the ball back towards, um, towards Jay Sean Tate, Josh Christopher and, uh, and Kevin Porter Jr. And KPJ just is ignoring it. He's kind of just running up the court. And like he kind of glances back at them. And you see Tate and Christopher. Tate's just kind of like got his arms down, like, dude, the ball's right here. And then Josh Christopher's just like, get the ball. Like he's like jumping up and down, like, go get it. And then you can hear it on the call. Uh, Ryan Hollins, you know, if you were watching from home. You know, it's just like, go get the ball. And so it was just a really wholesome moment for KPJ for his first career triple double. And there's our look, the fun police on Twitter are already all over it saying, oh, it's not a real triple double. And, you know, he's stat padding and, and all this mess. Right, dude. No, like for your first career triple double, he earned that. It's OK that the last rebound wasn't a completely, you know, earned rebound. And hopefully the league office doesn't you know, mess with the stats and, and move things around to credit uh, Alper and Shingun with the with the board. Hopefully it stays with KPJ and this will, you know, stay his first career triple-double. But um, past the super wholesome triple-double moment for KPJ, uh, he did a great job in this game everywhere besides putting the ball in the basket. Um, he was 4 of 17 shooting overall. He was just 1 of 8 from behind the three-point line. Uh, two or three from the charity stripe. We'll take that. The shooting efficiency was, let's face it, hot garbage for KPJ. It was. Um, and there were definitely points in this game where I felt like he was getting away from what was working for the Rockets, which is, again, that heavy dosage, that steady diet of pick and roll with him and Christian Wood. And it felt like, now there were, there were a handful of the threes, I will say, disclaimer, there were a handful of threes that KPJ shot, probably about three or four of them, that were just, you know, not quite like last second heaves and prayers at the end of the shot clock, but just shots where he was definitely not put in a position to succeed, right? Shots, you know, uh, shot clock running down, you know, sub, you know, less than five seconds to go. He has to hoist something up or it's a shot clock violation, those types of things, right? Um, that said, there were still moments in this one where it felt like in the Hornets game, KPJ was very intentional and very deliberate about getting Christian Wood involved every single time down the floor. Felt like in this one, 
he kind of got away from that a little bit. Um, and I'd like to see him be, have that same aggressive mentality about feeding Christian Wood because that having that level of aggressive mentality about trying to feed Christian Wood on the roll is almost akin to the same like level of aggressive mentality about trying to get his, right? Because he's so intentional and so deliberate about it that it forces defenses to play a certain way, right? It almost forces his man to give more attention to Christian Wood as the roller, you know, coming off of screens and things like that to try and, you know, it, it just causes more problems for them, um, for, for opposing defenses trying to guard that. So I'd like to see him shift a little bit back more into that mentality, but he did a great job getting everybody involved in this game, really finding guys in transition. Um, you know, had he had Jay Sean Tate for an alley-oop dunk in transition. Uh, he hit Christian Wood multiple times in this game, had, a, you know, some lob passes to him. Uh, and not only that, he received his own lob pass from Jay Sean Tate in this one. Uh, so after hitting Jay, or after Jay Sean Tate, uh, hit KPJ very early in this game for a transition dunk, uh, a transition alley-oop lob, I should say. Uh, later in the game, KPJ returned the favor, hitting Jay Sean Tate in transition for his own lob pass, um, which somebody pointed out on on Twitter that the only reason KPJ was in position for that lob in transition from Jay Sean Tate is because he didn't get back on defense in time, which is absolutely true. Um I will say that's the, again, that's still an area of growth for KPJ is getting back, you know, transition defense and getting back on defense. But once he is on defense and once he's on that side of the court, his defense has been really, really solid. So again, we'll take the growth where we can baby steps. Um, but KPJ again, 11 assists, only four turnovers in this game. You know, this is, it's growth from KPJ. He has 23 assists over the last two games and he has looked so much more comfortable with the spacing that is out there, being able to run st a steady diet of pick and roll with Christian Wood and the offense being built, all the little offshoots off of that side of the offense. You know, the, the Rockets mixing in uh, more cutting actions, the Rockets mixing in little flare screens off the ball to get shooters open, you know, EG, Garrison Matthews, those guys. Uh, just seeing all these little developments and how this offense, you know, could have looked for the early part of the season and unfortunately didn't. Uh, I'm just glad we're finally at this point. And then KPJ also said that, you know, the biggest thing for him was the time that he missed while he was sitting out, right? That he kind of was able to look at film, was able to look at the game through a different lens and was able to catch and find some of the, you know, some of the reads, some of the things that he wasn't, no things that he wasn't noticing before. And he's come back in uh, with a new mindset, with a new, uh, you know, feel for his game as the point guard of this team. And it's been a really, really great sight to see. So I want to wrap up final points, final thoughts from this game. Still want to talk about Jay Sean Tate, Garrison Matthews, their impact. Uh, Armani Brooks struggling a little bit from outside. Alperin Shingoon and some uh, fun hustle stats from him. And we'll get there in just a moment after a quick message from our friends over at betonline.ag. Because look, when it comes to 
betting bet online is your number one spot for all of your football and basketball action this season they've got you for more odds props lines and everything than any other betting site you could possibly imagine head over to their updated website and use promo code locked on to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your very first deposit again that's a 50 percent bonus when you use promo code locked on that's l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n on your very first deposit again they got you for basketball football nhl boxing UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino game. So don't wait to take av- take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. We thank you for making Locked on Rockets your first listen of the day. For your second listen, go check out Locked on Bets. Go make some money. They are on a just they're on a roll over there. Uh, your boy Q Lee Sterling, they they are killing it over there at Locked on Bets. Go check out Locked on Bets wherever you listen to your podcast. Final segment. Uh, Want to kind of roll through these last few pointers here. Garrison Matthews. The fact that he was, you know, sitting in the G League, uh, you know, a few weeks ago that the Rockets, you know, pulled him up basically off the scrap heap. And now he is starting and playing, you know, consistent rotation minutes. And he is he is the shooter that this Rockets team desperately needed. Um, I love Armani Brooks and I still love what he brings to the team. And I, I, you know, I still hope he has a consistent role in the rotation moving forward because having multiple shooters on the floor is what unlocks so much spacing for this Rockets offense. And we're seeing like Armani Brooks being parked, you know, three, four, five steps behind the three point line because he's got deep range just like Eric Gordon does. And that pulls a defender even further out of the paint, which further unlocks things for Christian Wood, KPJ, all of them. That said, Garrison Matthews um, has been a bit more consistent than Armani Brooks as of late, and he's also a bit more impactful defensively than Armani Brooks is. Armani tries. He tries on defense, but he's undersized. He's 6'2", you know, and if you've got him out there, unless he's guarding another smaller, you know, quicker, twitchier player like himself, um, he's just going to be out outclassed defensively, unfortunately. Garrison Matthews knows how to use his body. He's got a bit more size, 6'5", um, great at drawing charges, puts his body on the line each and every game. Uh, he's been huge. And you know what? Uh, given the fact that, first off, uh, Garrison Matthews has been draining uh, corner triples at an absurd rate. In fact, I want to I want to pull up Garrison Matthews right here. He had three corner triples in this game against the OKC Thunder. And so I am hereby declaring by decree of Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked on Rockets, and by many others, um, that that corner, the corners of Toyota Center, now belong to Garrison Matthews. They no longer belong to P.J. Tucker, who called the Rockets expletive lames. Um, you know, friendship ended with P.J. Tucker. Friendship ended, ended with corner three-point... Three-point shooter P.J. Tucker, uh, Garrison Matthews is my new best friend. There we go. Uh, But seriously, Garrison Matthews has been such a breath of fresh air. His impact cannot be understated. Uh, And it'll be really interesting to see what the rotation looks like uh, upon Jalen Green's return, right? And not only that, there's the whole, you know, situation regarding the fact, is is John Wall, like, going to come back into the Rockets lineup? What does that look like, right? A couple thoughts on that 
you know, in just a second here at the very, very tail end to tease us into our very next episode, our weekly episode with one Kelly Eco of The Athletic. So we'll have plenty of ground to cover with Kelly uh, in, in our very next episode. But Garrison Matthews has been huge, 19 points, 5 of 11, 3-point shooting, 7 of 14 overall. He had a couple of plays where he was able to cut to the basket, had a great feed where he was cutting the basket from Jay Sean Tate. Um, and again, I, I mentioned it in one of Garrison's very first couple games as a Houston Rocket where I was like, okay, Jay Sean Tate is no longer the only good cutter on this basketball team. Garrison Matthews understands how to use his gravity as a three-point shooter when defenses are overplaying him to then just make a quick cut back door. And he's, you know, great at doing it when he knows who the passers are on the team, right? So like great at cutting when Jay Sean Tate has the ball, great at cutting when Alperin Shingun has the ball, right? If you know that one of those two guys have the ball, all you have to do is give your defender a quick fake, like you're, you know, going to cut towards, you know, cut towards the ball and then just dip straight back towards the basket. And it's going to be an easy two at the rim because Tate and Shingun will find you. That ball will find its way directly into your hands, into your shooting pocket, into your chest, wherever. If you're cutting, if you're trying to spot up for a shot, all you have to do if you're playing with those two guys is get the movement, right? Get open and the ball will find you. So uh, speaking of that, right, Jay Sean Tate, another really impressive bounce back performance from him. 15 points, 7 of 12 shooting, missed his only two three-point attempts, but he had six rebounds, eight assists, and a steal, and zero turnovers, plus 24 in 28 minutes of run for Jay Sean Tate. Um, right, there's, <clears throat> I feel like amongst Rockets fans, there's like a, a, a divide between people who think Jay Sean Tate is overrated and people who think Jay Sean Tate is, is underrated. And I'm kind of like in, I feel like I probably skew more towards he's underrated because I, I genuinely think that Jay Sean Tate is, is the type of like, guy who you have in a seven or eight man, like championship rotation. I'm sorry. Right. Because he gives you so much of everything else on the basketball floor, even though the shooting isn't always there. It's very, again, it's very Draymond green esque. It's very Andre Iguodala esque, right? The reason the warriors get away with having those guys play heavy minutes is because they bring you so much else to the table. They bring you playmaking. They bring you defense. They bring you hustle. They bring you team defense. I mean, just the, the list goes on and on. They bring you inside play, right? So for all those little things that Jay Sean Tate brings, even though sometimes he doesn't hit his three balls consistently as we'd like him to, Right. He is a secondary playmaker on the floor. He's a defensive stopper. He's the best one-on-one defender on the Rockets on the Rockets starting lineup. Um, he takes the toughest defensive assignments. Uh, it's really amazing to see what he's able to do on a nightly basis. And for him to come back and just two games after being removed from a game where he had, uh, you know, really, again, I said it was uncharacteristic when he had the five turnovers because it truly is. Jay Sean Tate does a really great job of being a, a wing who takes care of the basketball. He really is kind of a point-forward-esque type guy. Um, and in this game, they even had some sets where they put Jay Sean, like in the post, and he was either able to create for himself and just get a bucket or create for you know a teammate with you know a skip pass across the floor. And I love when they mix up the offensive looks like that, right? Because, yeah, it's great. Run the steady diet of pick and roll with Christian Wood. That's obviously like the bread and butter. It should be the number one the number one, two, three options offensively for this team. But then mixing things up occasionally is what, you know, keeps the defense on its toes and can create some really easy looks and seeing how they're utilizing Jay Sean Tate offensively uh, is great. And again, he just 
he gets to the he's just such a bully inside the paint. Like once he gets inside the paint, um, some of the finishes that he has, I just I'm scratching my head thinking, how did he get that shot off with, you know, two, sometimes three defenders around him? He just powers up through them. He's got those gigantic shoulders like it's just it's ridiculous what he's able to do uh, in the interior. He doesn't play like he's six, four. Jay Sean Tate is six, four, but he plays like he's about six, ten, six, eleven. Like it's ridiculous. He plays big and much bigger than he actually is. Um, do want to mention, uh, Daniel house jr. Who came into the game and like the very first possession of the game, dribbled the ball up and dribbled into like a long contested two. And I jokingly had to throw out, you know, which, which phase of the house cycle are we in? And he shut me up really quick. Um, I did follow up by saying that Daniel house is at his best when he's playing within the flow of the game and not trying to force things. And it felt like that very first possession, he was trying to force things. And then after that, it felt like he kind of settled down a little bit and got back into what he had, you know, what he did against the Bulls, what he was doing, you know, it just basically flowing, right? Let, letting the offense come to him, letting other guys kind of create his shots, letting the ball move around the perimeter um, and find him naturally within the flow of the offense rather than just trying to do everything himself, right? By by trying to create stuff that isn't even there, Um and he finishes the night 12 points, five of nine shooting two of four from behind the three point line had eight rebounds, uh, really, really productive evening for Daniel house jr. Off of the bench. And again, he's a guy that can still be a, you know, a really strong contributor to this basketball team. I'm not, you know, if he's playing this, if he's playing consistently and if he can be in this good phase of the house cycle, there's no reason why he shouldn't get, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes a night in the rotation because he does continue to give the Rockets what they need, which is floor spacing, uh, speed, athleticism, solid to above average defense, like all those things Daniel House Jr. can bring to the table. So as long as he's playing at this level, I'm totally cool with Steven Silas continuing to give him minutes. Um, there's no need for him to be squeezed from the rotation because they do, the Rockets do lack a, a bit of size, unfortunately. And Daniel House Jr. is is their lengthiest wing. He gives them, you know, six, seven, six, eight wing, uh, decent wingspan, uh, you know, a little bit more size and length at that four spot next to Christian Wood or, or Alper and Shingoon out there on the floor, which brings me to my final guy, Alper and Shingoon, that I want to talk about who had an absolute hammer of a dunk in this game. Maybe a bit of a frustration dunk from Shingoon, a little bit, maybe. Um, I will I will say, God, still fighting this cough. Sorry, sorry. My bad, guys. I apologize. So I will say that the Rockets need to do a much better job of when Shingoon is in the game of finding him, right? You know, he does a great job you know, sealing his man on, on potential post-ups. And it really feels like this team, you know, apart from DJ Augustine at times, uh, it really feels like this team doesn't have anybody. And this includes KPJ uh, that is capable of throwing like an adequate entry pass to the post. Um, we see it a lot with Christian Wood when he's trying to see it. One, Christian Wood doesn't do nearly as good of a job sealing his man in the post as Alper and Shingun does. Um, that said, you know, Christian is also a, uh, you know, a bit more adept at, you know, he can kind of catch the ball from anywhere and then just go with it. But that said, Shingun seals his man, gets his man right on his hip, on his back, and has his hand out like, dude, throw me the ball and can't ever buy a pass from, from his teammates, which is kind of frustrating to see a little bit. Um, I'd love to see Shingun get a few more post touches when he's in the game because things run so smoothly through him. That said, uh, he does 
generate a lot of offense for this team off of the dribble handoffs and the created opportunities on the perimeter. I talked a little bit last show about uh, the dynamic between he and Armani Brooks and how those two guys look on the perimeter when they're running dribble handoff sets together. Um, Armani, unfortunately, is struggling in this game, just one of seven shooting behind the three-point line. But if you were watching this game closely, there were still moments where you could see you know, Armani and Shingun kind of dancing together on the perimeter, you know, trying to create opportunities for Armani, whatever. Uh, but Shingun, you know, letting out a little bit of frustration, I think, with that, you know, monster slam at the rim. Um, absolutely, uh, you know, posterizing, basically dunking on the entire Thunder franchise that traded him away, right? It was it was that uh, beautiful of a play. So, uh, you know, with Shingun, I did look it up because defensively, I remain so impressed. Even though the, the numbers weren't super flashy offensively for him, just four points, uh, four boards, three assists, one steal. Defensively, he tips and deflects the basketball so many times, right? It happened, he had a play where he like tipped the basketball. And I said something like, oh, wow, you know, Shingun's hands are so quick. And then he did it like two or three more times in the span, in, in like in the stretch of like his first half minutes. And I was like, okay, I got to look this up. Like I need to find out what this stat is. So I went and dug up the uh, player hustle stats for rookies um, for deflections for total deflections among rookies. Alper and Shingun is ranked number five in total deflections among rookies. So in order, we've got Herbert Jones for the new Orleans Pelicans has 59 deflections. Scotty Barnes has 53 deflections. Jalen Suggs has 52 deflections and Franz Wagner has 50 or sorry, 48 deflections. And then Alper and Shingun comes in with 46 deflections uh, at number five amongst all rookies. The difference is Alper and Shingun has about a hundred and wow, almost 200 less minutes played than the next closest guy on the list. And that's Herbert Jones. Who's number one. Alper and Shingun has played a total of 346 minutes. Herbert Jones has played 523 minutes. Scotty has played 670 minutes. Suggs, 583. And then Franz Wagner has played 693 minutes. So the difference between all these guys on the top five you know, spot of this list is they've all played significantly more minutes than Alper and Shingun. And yet, Shingun is right there in the top five as far as deflections go with those guys. Um... I also want to highlight, so that first off, that was because again, I saw it during the game and I was like, you know what? I want to double check this stat. Um, not only that, as I was digging up the deflection stats, I found the screen assists stats, which um, for all rookies, uh, the three that are clear cut ahead of the pack are Evan Mobley, Alperin Shingun, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Uh, Evan Mobley set 39 screen assists, Alperin Shingun 38 screen assists, and then Jeremiah Robinson Earl 34 screen assists. So screen assists, right, are where you get an assist off of generating a bucket, you you know, utilizing a screen. Um, David Locke, Locked On Podcast Network, uh, is a huge fan of screen assists because of one Rudy Gobert. He talks about screen assists all the time over at Locked On Jazz. Um, we're not going to talk about Rudy Gobert or Locked On Jazz on this show because we are a rocket show, and that would be uh, heresy to spend more than just a, f- a, a few breaths of air talking about that show on this show. That said, we are going to talk about screen assists because Alperin Shingun, I've talked about his abilities as a screener. He is a really solid screener. He does a great job opening up shooters, getting quality looks for them off of those dribble handoff sets. It helps now having some more quick trigger shooters 
uh, in uh, obviously Armani Brooks playing with a bit more confidence. Uh, Garrison Matthews looking really good. Eric Gordon is, is great in some of those dribble handoff sets, just pulling straight up for three. But for Alperin Shingun, again, he is trailing these other guys in such a sub- substantial, significant amount of minutes. And yet, he has generated the most screen assist points out of any of them. He has 98 points generated off his 38 screen assists. Evan Mobley has 94 points generated out of his 39 screen assists. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl has 76 points generated off of his 34 screen assists. So... I think those are some really fun, interesting stats for Alper and Shingun. And it just goes to show that if Shingun were in a position where he weren't, you know, playing second fiddle to Christian Wood and he were able to start and log, you know, 30 plus minutes a game, foul trouble permitting, um, he would absolutely be in the discussion for rookie of the year. Uh, is this something that, you know, could potentially change? One of the topics we're going to tackle with Kelly Eco is the fact that Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer reporting that Christian Wood is likely to receive significant trade interest from around the league uh, at the NBA trade deadline. And not only that, Daniel Tice should receive uh, some mild interest as well around the NBA trade deadline. So those two guys could potentially be on the move. And with as dominant as Christian Wood has looked, if he continues this impressive stretch of play, yeah, there's an argument to be made that maybe he should stay in a Rockets jersey and they should consider holding on to him for the long term. There's also the argument to be made that a lot of the top prospects in this next draft are bigs, and a lot of them would pair really well with Alper and Shingun moving forward. So with that, that's where I will leave off for today's episode. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app. Also subscribe, like, comment, all that stuff on the brand new Locked on Rockets YouTube channel. We would sincerely appreciate it. But for today's episode, that is going to do it. Be sure to tune in for our very next episode, our weekly sit down with the Athletics' Kelly Eco as we tackle the John Wall situation, what to do with Christian Wood and Daniel Tice, and how this Rockets team can keep its winning ways moving forward. All of that and more on our next episode. But for today's episode, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.